Well, good morning and greetings in the Master's name. Wow, what a privilege to see the house so well filled this morning. Well, I was thinking I would do a children's class, but I'm feeling just a little bit of a time crunch, so I'm just going to do this object lesson that I was going to do for the children for everybody. It's a pretty simple little object lesson. The message this morning ultimately is about peer pressure. How we should, re I guess, how we should react to it, but some things, some times in the Bible where peer pressure affected people. Well, this morning we're going to take this water bottle. It's a clear water bottle, it's empty. This water bottle is going to represent peer pressure. The pressures around us that affect our lives. And we're going to start with positive peer pressure. This bottle is representing positive peer pressure. And I have a balloon here. I'm going to stick in this bottle. And I'm going to leave the top sticking out. And sometimes there's things inside of us that just want to blow up. Now, no matter how hard I blow on that balloon, I can't blow it up outside of that bottle. That bottle is helping me keep the ugly stuff inside. Maybe my temper, maybe it's some bad thing I want to say or do. The peer pressure, the positive, the good peer pressure around us keeps that, in, helps us keep those things controlled inside us. Now let's see what happens when we take that peer pressure away and we blow this, this balloon up. Now, apologies to those that are listening on the, on the phone. I don't know if y'all can see what's on that balloon. It's an ugly, frowny face. People get to see the ugliness that's inside if we don't gather positive peer pressure. Good people around us to keep that pressure in, or those, those bad things in. Now, we're going to go to negative peer pressure. This bottle represents bad things around us, negative peer pressure. We're going to put a balloon in there, stick it down in, just like we did last time. And if we surround ourselves with negative peer pressure, people that have bad influences on us, guess what happens? Nothing. The good inside of us doesn't come out very well. So in life, we need to make sure that we don't let those negative peer pressures control us. Let's see what happens when we take that negative peer pressure away and just be who God wants us to be. I don't know if you can see that. Nice, cheery smile, bright yellow balloon, and everybody around us is much happier and affected in a positive way because we get rid of that negative peer pressure and we let what is inside of us the good inside of us, come out. I'll have a good place to put that balloon up here, so I'll, I'll leave it there. We're going to look at some things in Scripture this morning 
The title of the message is, Who Sets Your Standard? Who sets your standard for life? Who affects you? And who controls what you do? Now, some of you were here Wednesday evening, and we were greatly challenged by what Brother Philip said. His um, talk on what the internet, what technology is and what it's doing, and how it is dividing us as a nation, and how careful we need to be not to let it divide us as a church. But he said something, a little excerpt in that message that the Lord really poked me in the ribs with it. Well, no, I guess, he, yeah, he used what Brother Philip said to poke me. Brother Philip was talking about, well, technology. He's talking about sugar and how that's a technology and how that, you know, we like it so well. He talked about that 10 extra pounds, that belt that he's gained over the years from too much sugar and bad food. And I was sitting there and listening and I thought, my thought went through my head. Boy, am I ever thankful I'm not the only one. And the Lord just, I don't know, felt like a little elbow in my ribs. And he said, why are you looking at Brother Philip to justify yourself? And I, I really, I, I missed part of Philip's talk because it was so, it got me. It's like, oh yeah, I did just do that. Well, Brother Philip just said, my instant reaction, I justified myself because he's got the same problem I do. I'm not the same weight I was when I got married. Now, I'm not out here to preach against being 10 pounds heavier than the day you were married. That's not the point. The point was I was making an excuse for me because of my brother. And as I thought about that, I realized that my Heavenly Father was saying the exact same thing to me that I've said to my children over and over and over again. It doesn't matter if the entire world is doing it. If it's wrong for you, it's wrong for you. The rest of the world doesn't make it right for you. You can't look at someone else's life to justify your own. And may I also add, you cannot blame your actions on someone else. Ever. I want to get that in our minds, in our hearts. We cannot blame who we are on anyone else. I don't care what stage you are in life. Sure, you may be crippled because of a wreck. That doesn't make you bitter because of that wreck. You make yourself bitter because of that wreck. We are who we are. We choose who we are. Sure, there's pressures around us. Sure, the world wants to change us. You cannot blame someone else for who you are and choices you make. I hope you all understand. I'm preaching it myself. The Lord touched. I'm preaching because of what the Lord told and showed me Wednesday evening. There's a lie that has been told so many times that we've begun to accept it, even here in our circles. And that lie is this. I am a victim of my circumstances. I can't help the way I am because, and you fill in the blank. 
Dear ones, that's a lie. And Satan has used it over and over again to take people that could be giants in God's kingdom, could be Daniels in God's kingdom, and they said, I just can't help who I am, and they give up. And they are become useless, almost useless in God's kingdom because they accept a lie from Satan. It's because we've heard it over and over. Oh, he's a victim of his circumstances. There's some truth to that. People do have effects in their lives from things that happened in their youth or things that happened, maybe it's going on right now. But as long as they think of themselves as a victim, they will always be a victim. No victim can ever succeed if they think of themselves. If you think of yourself as a victim, you will never succeed. We are not victims in Christ. We are victors. How to get from one to the other is a process. And we all are probably in that process in some way or another. We are not. You are not. As a child of God, you are not a product you, are, you can be a product of your circumstances for good, but you can never blame your failures on someone else. We have a Heavenly Father that says, I'll give you enough grace for anything you face in life. You are a child of God. You are responsible as a child of God for your actions. I'm responsible for my actions. For any bad for, habits I form, for anything that, any weakness in my life, that's my problem. I can't look at my parents as youth. You can't say, well, my parents are such and so, and, and they do this, and so I can't help it. I'm this away. That no longer is an excuse when you give your heart to the Lord. Because God gives us all we need if we ask of him. The people around us. The environment God put us in. He put us in it for a reason. And he put it in, uh, us in that environment, in this environment, whatever environment you grew up. He put you there for a very specific reason. It was not a mistake. And he wants to use it to make you better, not worse, not bitter. God is looking to you for an image of his son. And when we say that I can't help it, we're saying God's not enough. That him his son is not powerful. His, the power of Jesus Christ is not great enough to change us. And I realized this morning that I'm talking to a, a church, a body of believers, in which not a single one of you, of you is perfect. I'm not perfect. If we were going on a perfection scale, I wouldn't be up here. I'm not so concerned about your imperfections. What I'm concerned about is if we're satisfied where we're at. Why do we accept who we are, our failures, it's just, it's just the way I am. I can't go anywhere. It's, I'm good enough. Why do we accept where we are spiritually? The verse pops in my mind of something to the effect of those that will take the kingdom of God, press into it. You have to work if you want to grow closer to God. It's not something we just fall into. Why 
do we continue to look at people around us to excuse ourselves? Why do we let the world around us, let's get outside of our, the church doors and look at the world around us and say, well, this is the way they do it. It must be all right. Why do I look at my brother to excuse my extra 10 pounds? Who are we looking to for a standard of what we should be? Let's take a look at a few scriptures to give us some warnings about looking at others for a standard. I'll read this one. You don't need to turn there. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, For we dare not make, a, make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measure themselves by themselves, and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. I know that's a lot of themselves, but you get that? It's themselves and themselves. No, Christ doesn't enter that picture. They're not looking at a biblical standard. They're looking at each other for who they should be. Paul said they're not wise. These people were comparing themselves to people. It says they commended themselves. They were braggers. Look at me. Look how good I am. And they would compare them, you know, they would compare themselves to someone who's telling them how good they were. Wait a minute. There's a problem with this. If we compare ourselves to those, to someone who is trying to prove how good they are, that's flawed from the beginning. Who or what is your standard for who you should be and what you should do? Let's turn to John 21. There's a story here. This is about Peter. I love Peter. Very effective. God used him greatly. Peter had a weakness that followed him through his life, really. And that was a weakness for wanting others, for looking to others. The very subject we're talking about this morning. We'll find out more as we go along. John 21, I want to read the first three verses. I will start with the first three verses. And this is our text. I'll be reading John 21, 1 to 22 eventually. Let's read the first three verses. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to, this, to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They unto say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. Okay, so what we have going on here, Jesus had left seemingly to them. He had resurrected. They had seen him. They knew he was alive. So they knew who Jesus was, and he had resurrected. But now what? And they were confused. It probably felt a little bit like failures. They had anchored their hopes in Jesus, thinking he was going to be the Messiah that was going to come in and break the Roman rule, and they were going to follow him and become great. Well, that all comes back to self-centered thinking. And they were sitting around looking at each other saying, now what do we do? Do we find ourselves in the same place sometimes? We're born again. Sometimes life gets confusing. Sometimes it seems like God is silent and we're not walking 
in close relationship with Jesus, it, or it seems like he's, he's not speaking to us clearly, showing us what we need to do. And it's hard to know what God wants of us sometimes. And in those times, what's our tendency? It's just like these disciples. What did the disciples do? They looked around them and said, hmm, well, this is what everybody else is doing. This is what I used to always do. I'm going to go do it again. I'm going fishing. They're just living their lives, doing what they please. I think I'll do the same thing. Maybe Peter looked around at his old friends and thought, I've, done, I've spent my last three years following Jesus. I know he's re resurrected, but now I guess he's gone. I'm just going to go back to my old lifestyle, just like my friends are. So I'm going to just go fishing. And he took at least six disciples with him, and maybe more. Now, I hope you all understand, I'm not digging on fishing because I love to fish, especially if I catch something. There's nothing wrong with that. But we want to see Peter and what he was going through in this situation, realize how much we might face life the same way. So these guys went fishing. They fished all night long. What did they catch? Nothing. Once again, another correlation. When we look at the world and look at those around us and say, well, they're just living life and enjoying it and not, not worrying too much about um, digging in spiritually, so to speak, I think that's what I'll do. What are we going to catch? Nothing. There's nothing left for us in that, in that scenario. We come up empty and unfulfilled just like Peter and his disciples did. No real reward for our labors. Now let's keep reading verses 4 to 6. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said, uh, saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, Nope. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. So once again, let's compare it to our own lives. Sometimes we feel pretty flat spiritually like we're talking about. We don't feel connected. And in some small way, Jesus shows up on the scene, and we may not even realize it's him. Sometimes it's the way the Spirit works. But it's interesting as you look at this, he tells them to throw the net on the right side of the boat. Well, we always fish off the left side of the boat. Why would we do that? They fished off the left side of the boat all night long. I mean, that's how their nets are set up. It's how we do. You know, probably didn't make sense. I don't know. I'm adding in a few details here. But trying to think through, I worked on a, on a catfish harvesting crew for a long time. And there's just some things you always do the same way. That's the way everybody knows, the crew knows how to do things. But they tried everything they knew and it didn't work. How often have we been in the same place? So when that little spirit prompting comes along, now in this case it was Jesus from the shore saying, hey, y'all got anything? No? Well, try the other side of, this, of the boat. Well, maybe that's a cue for us. Maybe sometimes we need to try something, try the other side of the boat. Get out of our rut. 
especially when we feel that still small voice speaking to us. And we know what happened. They did it. They finally said, you know what, we'll try it. And it worked. It always works to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus speaks into our lives. Taking direction from Christ instead of the world around us brings boatloads of fish, spiritually. Now let's read verses 17, or 7 to 17. Verse 7 to 17. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, and that would have been John, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits. And I think that's about three hundred feet, or a hundred yards. Dragging the net full of fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were no there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, Lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Now what's happening in these verses? You have all these disciples, probably seven, six, seven, eight of them, we don't know exactly, in a group, they're eating breakfast with Jesus. And Jesus speaks directly to Peter. And gives Peter the commission for his life. And Peter missed it. You think about what Jesus is saying to Peter. Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. Jesus is commissioning Peter right here to lead the early church. What happened? How did Peter hear what Jesus was saying? He got all offended and grieved. He missed, because of his focus on himself, he missed the awesomeness of what Jesus was saying to him. I don't know about you, but I sure see some similarities to myself in this scenario. So many times I get so caught up in the here and now, you know, the things that are going on around me, that I miss what Jesus is doing through, maybe through that situation, 
or in the situation around me. Let's not be, let's not miss the awesomeness of Jesus' call because of our own feelings. All right, let's read uh, verses 18 to 22. This is what Jesus goes on to say to Peter. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter saith, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. So we have Peter still very much focused on himself and his feelings. Poor me. And I bet he's feeling just a little bit jealous of John. And maybe even all the other, the, all the other disciples because Jesus hadn't, that we know of, hadn't picked anybody else out. Peter was the only one who Jesus scrutinized, if you want to say it that way. In actuality, Peter's the only one in this particular case that Jesus was calling out as a leader of the church. So he's looking at John and the other disciples and saying, in his mind, saying, well, what about them? What, what? As a comparison, as a standard by which to judge himself. And he asked Jesus, what about John over here? What's he going to do? Maybe even thinking that Jesus surely would question John's love for him also. And I'm sure that in the moment, it would have made Peter feel a whole lot better if Jesus had questioned someone else. Questioned one of the other disciples' loyalty and their love. And maybe if Jesus had, he'd have said, Peter would have said, at least I'm not the only one. Just like I did. Jesus' response to that attitude is what I want us to get. What I want us to take with us. If you, don't, if you miss everything else from this message, remember this one thing. Jesus' response to Peter's self-centered ways and his looking at others around him was this. What is that to thee? Follow thou me. Some people are affected by peer pressure more than others. And Peter was one of those people. And I believe Jesus knew why he needed to say those words to Peter. And why Peter needed such a clear call. And I wish I could say that Peter learned his lesson and didn't ever give in to peer pressure again. To negative peer pressure again. But that's not so. Let's turn to one more passage here. Galatians 2, let's read verses 11 to 14. Galatians 2, verses 11 to 14. You all probably already are there in your mind. The mistake Peter made here. Galatians 2, verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, this is Paul speaking, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But that when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. 
And, and the other Jews disassembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with this dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter, Before them all, if thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? So in this scenario, Peter was scared of the Jews. He was a Jew, and his fear of what they thought made him act differently. As he, if I can use a big word here, capitulated to the pressure, he gave in to the pressure of those around him. What did it do? It had a ripple effect. It put pressure on the other Jews that were there, and even on Barnabas, who was a stalwart young man. All of them gave in to that peer pressure because of what Peter did. And if Peter was that susceptible to bad peer pressure, I'm fairly certain that we, no matter our age, could possibly be affected by peer pressure today also. Who sets our standard? Who's dictating what happens in my life and how I react to life around me? Who do we look to for direction about how we should live and what we should do? Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Our first and foremost goal or drive should always be to honor and glorify God. As we do that, everybody else becomes less important. Should we ever look to those around us for direction in how we should live? I say yes. Paul even said that. He says, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Be ye followers, followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Glad that was Paul writing it, because I'm not going to tell you that about myself. Because I'm going to make mistakes. God has given us godly people, both in Scripture and in the church today, who are very good examples to us, to show us how we should live. But we just have to remember, they are human. If we set our standard by any other human and live our lives according to what they say, we eventually will fail because they eventually will also fail in some way. So if they fail, is it right for us to fail? There's a little song that I heard the chorus of my wife remembered this song and uh, we found I don't remember the whole thing it's a simple little song and this is a chorus as best we can remember it everybody's doing it so why can't I but if I go ahead and do it is it really going to satisfy they might be getting by with the things they do but if they go to hell do you want to go to Light little song with a, an extremely weighty meaning. If we set our standard by the people around us, eventually we're going to sh fall short of God's standard because they're human. We have to set our standard by what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For you are bought with price... Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 
Church, we are not our own. We belong to Christ. We are wanting to bring Him glory. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about our Heavenly Father and what he, His image in us. No matter what the question we face in life, what situation, temptation, weakness, if our ultimate goal is to glorify God in our body, God will lead us. Let's not worry about what the world around us is doing. Let's heed Jesus' words to Peter. What is that to me, to thee, follow thou me? Let's have a song.